It is a joy to be back. It's good to be here. It's good to take some time off, and we enjoyed our time together. And it's a joy knowing that God's Word is given, and the pulpit here was fulfilled, and God blessed in the preaching through Brian, through Joshua chapter 1. It's uh, a blessing to hear such a good report coming through um, when God's Word is spoken. So good to have Marge with us here today. Praise God for that. The answer to our prayers. It's so good to see you back in your place, a smile on your face. So praise God for that. Our reading of, our, of God's Word today will start our new series. And so here's the, the for, for those who may not be as familiar, if you turn to Psalms, about the middle of your Bible, turn to Psalms, and then turn two books back, not forward, backwards, to Esther. Before Psalms is Job, before Job is Esther, the book of Esther. We're going to start a new series in that today. So let's all stand in respect to the reading of God's word, Esther chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible yourself, you should have one. Amen. We do have others graciously given, and the men in the back have a Bible available, so raise your hand if you need one. Esther chapter 1. Now in the days of Ahasuerus, the Ahasuerus who reigned from India to Ethiopia, over 120 provinces, in those days... When King Ahasuerus sat on his royal throne in Susa, the citadel, in the third year of his reign, he gave a feast for all his officials and servants. The army of Persia and Media and the nobles and the nobles and governors of the provinces were before him. While he showed the riches of his royal glory and the splendor and pomp of his greatness for many days, 180 days. And when these days were completed, the king gave for all the people present in Susa, the citadel, both great and small, a feast, lasting for seven days in the court of the garden of the king's palace. There were white cotton curtains and violet hangings fastened with cords of fine linen and purple to silver rods and marble pillars and also couches of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of porphyry, marble, mother of pearl, and precious stones. Drinks were served in golden vessels, vessels of different kinds, and the royal wine was lavished according to the bounty of the king. And drinking was according to this edict. There is no compulsion, for the king had given orders to all the staff of his palace to do as each man desired. Queen Vashti also gave a feast for the women in the palace that belonged to King Ahasuerus. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded Meduhmam, Bithma, Harbona, Bigtha, Abaktha, Zethar, and Cargus, the seven eunuchs who served in the presence of King Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king with her royal crown, in order to show the peoples and the princes her beauty, for she was lovely to look at. 
But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command delivered by the eunuchs. At this, the king became enraged, and his anger burned within him. Then the king said to the wise men who knew the times, for this was the king's procedure to all, toward all who were versed in law and judgment. The men next to him being Karshina, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, Mersina, and Memukan, the seven princes of Mersia and Media, who saw the king's face and sat first in the kingdom. According to the law, what is to be done to Queen Vashti because she has not performed the command of King Ahasuerus delivered by the eunuchs? Then Memukan said in the presence of the king and the officials, not only against the king has Queen Vashti done wrong, but also against all the officials and all the peoples who are in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus. For the queen's behavior will be made known to all women, causing them to look at their husbands with contempt, since they will say King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought before him, and she did not come. This very day, the noble women of Persian media who have heard of the queen's behavior will say the same to all the king's officials. And there will be contempt and wrath in plenty. If it please the king, let a royal order go out from him and let it be written among the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it may not be repealed. That Vashti is never again to come before King Ahasuerus. And let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. So when the decree made by the king is proclaimed throughout all his kingdom, where it is vast, all women will give honor to their husbands, high and low alike. This advice pleased the king and the princes, and the king did as Memukin proposed. He sent letters to all the royal provinces to every province in its own script and to every people in its own language, that every man may be master in his own household and speak according to the language of his people. This is the word of God. Let's delve into it starting today and see what God has the message for us today, what we will learn through this series. So let's take time now. We're going to bow in a word of prayer. After prayer, a choir will come with special music and then the preaching of God's word today. Father, we thank you for your word. We do pray that you would open our understanding, that you would clean, cleanse us, forgive us of our sins so that we might come with the right heart before you today, that we would hear what you have to say, that we would understand your word and how this part of your word connects us with your thought and your ways. We might be richer for it, knowing more of, of you and worshiping and praising you for who you are. Open our eyes to your truth that reveals you. It speaks to us. It opens it lets us know who we are, what our need is for you for salvation, for deliverance, what our hope is in you to be our deliverer, to be our, our shepherd, to watch over us. So 
So guide us through your truth and your word today as we look in this portion of scripture in Esther. We thank you for this assembly of people today. We thank you for those who, each one that you have watched over, you've allowed us to meet again, you've, you've, uh, you've allowed us to have um, the fellowship and the company, Lord, of, of those who once were, were sick or recovering. We just pray, thank you for Marge being here today. Um, we thank you for answering prayer. We pray that you just continue to work and heal in her body, that a recovery might come in full. We pray for each one here today and thanking you for your healing and your blessing in many ways. And we pray that you would just continue that and that as your people um, see your healing, that you'd be honored, you'd be praised, you'd be glorified and magnified in their lives. So bless the preaching of your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. So we start the month of June in a new series. This is a good time for you. There's just 10 chapters in Esther, and none of them is over 32 um, verses long. The longest one is 32. Several are between that 13 to 16 verse range, and one is only three verses. So it's a very short book. You can probably read through it in about 10 minutes or 15 minutes. So uh, what I suggest you do with me is read through Esther this week. I want you to commit to reading through Esther this week. And if possible, if you have 10 to 15 minutes that you can take out, read through the entire book in one setting. So if possible, try it that way. Now you might need to take a little break, you know, uh, a few minutes in and, and just uh, rest your eyes for a moment, look, at, look outside, look, do, do something else for just a minute, then come back and read through it. So try and do that. Now, I'm going to ask you a question. How many are going to commit to doing that? How many are going to commit to reading through Esther this week? Raise your hand. You're going to commit to reading through. Amen. Good. Good to see that hand. All right. You will get much more than just looking at me and listening to me if you read for yourself. Esther is a very interesting book. First of all, let's say this. It is the Word of God. And since it is a word, the word of God, God has a message to us in it today. It is not just rehearsing history for learning's sake. Kind of, I remember going to school and I always thought, okay, this history, all these dates, all these names and these places, why do I have to remember it? And then we have a holiday like Memorial Day, and half of our nation doesn't even know what it's for. It's like, where were you at school? Why don't you remember? Why don't you think through? It's a time to honor those who have given their life in service of this country. And we ought to honor them. Well, Esther is a book that God has written for us. In fact, I want you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Keep a marker in Esther 1 and we'll come. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. 
verse 11, and it says this. Give you a moment to turn there. First Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. He's talking about some events in the Old Testament. He said it happened to them as an example, but it's written to us for instruction. For our instruction. And so the word of God stands that way. There is a message God wants us to hear and pay attention to in every book. There is a theme that runs through every book. And that old Sunday school question of, you know, what does it point to? Of course it points to Jesus. That's not a dumb answer. That's a very neat answer. And you need to see how it fits together. It's all right to give the answer, but do you know why? You need to understand why. So as we study through Esther, as we just finished our series in Hosea, you ought to be asking the question, what does this tell me about Jesus? Since the re- Why do I say that? Because the whole word of God is focused. It is God's message and God's plan for everyone, not just his people, but for everyone, and specifically his people, and in that plan, who is at the center of that plan? Is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so if Jesus, or since Jesus is at the center of God's plan, and God's word communicates his plan to his people, we ought to see Jesus, it ought to be pointing us to Jesus. In fact, it does point us to Jesus, and we need to see how. Not make it up. Or not put something together that, that's, that's just formulated, but see how it connects us to Jesus. We saw in Hosea in our previous study that Jesus is the groom for the unfaithful bride. Amen? We saw that in Hosea. That Jesus is the groom for the unfaithful bride, and he is gracious, he is loving, he is forgiving, but he's faithful, and he commands his bride to get right. That's Jesus. What do we see in Esther? Esther is a beautiful story. Now, I know many of us love to go to the theater, love to go to the movies, and a lot of movies out today are, are these, these superhero movies or the redo of the comics, right? What's appealing about that? What's appealing is we love to see the drama of a people in need and a hero that steps forward and delivers his people. And in that story, there's usually a, there is a villain, right? that needs to be defeated and destroyed, and he's not easy to defeat, right? And so that's what brings the drama is that the character of the hero, he has to be developed, his gifts have to be developed, and as he begins his plan to defeat the villain, we see ups and downs in that. We see times when the villain seems like he's winning, and then we've we seen times when the, when the hero seems like he's weak, 
And then we see that shift and what we love at the end. I think all, all good stories have this at the end, a happy ending. I went to one movie and it didn't have a happy ending. I was like, I, ain't go, I don't want to see that. <laughs> I, ain't, I didn't pay all my money to see this. The hero gets destroyed and it's in limbo. What's going to happen to him? And then I want you to come back to part two. Well, I understand that. We don't get it all in one setting, but we want to see a happy ending, don't we? We want to see some hope for those who are in distress. We want the hero to pull through and, 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 and get them. And so what we see in Esther is a beautiful picture. Let's look at, first of all, some of the main characters in Esther. The main character, there's just a few of them, and I think I've listed six. There's King Ahasuerus. That's how I'm going to say his name, whether that's the right way or not. I'm just going to keep saying it that way, Ahasuerus. Now, he's more formally known, more properly known by his Greek name, Exerces I, who was in reign um, the Persian in, uh, uh, empire from 486 to 464 BC. Uh, so that's kind of putting us in the setting. And while I'm talking about that, let's talk about the setting. The book of Esther, the events there, belongs to the period after the Babylonian exile. So you know your Old Testament history, right? I'm not going to go through all of it. But you know, we saw Hosea when the prophet said, hey, Israel, you're, you're in sin and God is going to bring judgment. And so we know the northern kingdom uh, came to an end. It went into exile under Assyria. And that's what we saw. Uh, that's what the book of Hosea was, was saying was going to happen. It hadn't happened yet in Hosea, but it's going to happen. And then later on, that was 722 B.C., and then later on in about 587 or so, the southern kingdom sinned, and, and it was brought down, and it went into exile in Babylon. Now, there's a book that we're all familiar with, the book of Daniel. Remember Daniel? And uh, so he was over in the foreign land. Um, when Israel was in exile. And so uh, the book of Esther happens about 100 years after Daniel. So we have Israel is no longer a kingdom. They don't have a land. They're in a foreign territory. In the book of Esther, uh, first of all, in, in their history, Babylon took them into exile with Nebuchadnezzar. Remember that name, Nebuchadnezzar. And then after Babylon ruled, uh, Persia came as the dominant kingdom, and they took over. And so here we have in the book of Esther, and the history there is that Israel is under the Persian Empire. King Ahasuerus is the king. All right, so that's the biblical setting. The story of Esther takes place in the city of Susa, S-U-S-A, and that's the capital of Persia. Um, and so that, that gives you that, that setting. Who are the main characters? We already said King Ahasuerus. Queen Vashti is the main character only in chapter 1. <laughs> she, she, she gets her demise, and, and she's, she's out of the picture. And she's not like one of those TV shows where she comes back later either. She, she, she's out. She's gone. 
So if you're going to do a play about uh, um, if you're going to do a play about Esther and you happen to play the character of Queen Vashti, you have a very small part. <laughs> we'll get into that next week. Next week we're going to actually do chapter one. Today we're going to do our introduction to Esther. So we have two characters so far: the king and the queen, Ahasuerus and Vashti, and then we have Mordecai and Esther. Who is Mordecai? Well, Mordecai is the one who raises Esther. We'll talk more about those details. But Esther loses her mother and father at an early age. They both die. And Mordecai is an older father figure in her life. He's actually her cousin, but he's a father figure. He's older, and so he raises her. He takes her under his household, and he raises her. And uh, so we see Mordecai and Esther, those two together. And Esther is the one who becomes queen in uh, Vashti's place. And then there's two other characters that are main in this book. And the villain is one of them. His name is Haman. He's the villain. He's the bad guy. And we'll see what happens to him. He's called the, the hater of the Jews or the destroyer of the Jews. He's, he's one who hates God's people. And there's one other main character in, uh, uh, in, in the book of Esther, but that person is never even named. Not once. Not named once in all of Esther, but it is a main character in Esther. Guess who that is? It's the Lord. It's the Lord. The Lord is not even mentioned in the whole book of Esther. Now that, that, that just kind of blows me away. How is Esther a book of the Bible that never mentions the Lord? And if the Lord is not mentioned, what value does Esther have for us? Well, I just challenge you to read it and to follow along in this series and uh, we'll see just that. In fact, what happens is, is that we see in Esther the Lord working. He's unseen, but he's working. Isn't that how he works in our life today? We don't see him. Why people say, you know, I'll believe in the Lord when I see him. Well, by the time you see him, it's too late to start believing in him because you'll be at judgment. And so you need to understand what he's doing and how he's working. And he's showing us how he works in Esther. He works unseen behind the scenes. The theme of Esther, I'll have it this way. I'm going to state it very simply and you can, you can, you can build on it as we go through. But it's simply <laughs> the Lord watches over his people. He keeps a watch over his people for his purpose. God watches over his people for his purpose. Let's talk a little bit more about that. God works unseen, behind the scene, through ordinary and extraordinary means. Say that again. God works unseen, behind the scene, in ordinary and extraordinary ways. That's one of the themes that we see working through this book. We can't see God, but we know he's working. And he's working often behind the scenes. 
God accomplishes his plan. He accomplishes his redemptive plan, his sanctification plan, and his glorification plan. Now, what does that mean? His redemptive plan is that he delivers his people out of trouble. He does that. He's working to do that. We see this spiritually through the Lord Jesus Christ who came to deliver us from our sin. But it's not just a spiritual deliverance because sin engulfs us and affects us in every way. We are affected physically in our health. We are affected economically in, 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 our, in our prosperity, in our belongings. We are affected socially in our relationship to others, all because of sin. Our, the world that we live in is affected physically because of sin. Everything that we experience, including our weather, is impacted because of the sin-impacted world. And so when God delivers and when he redeems his people, he will redeem his people, he will redeem their whole environment, and he will make it new for them. So God is about that. He's working his redemptive plan for his people. He's working his sanctification plan. Sanctification means he's, he's those who belong to him, he is purifying us and bringing us, he, he's bringing us into patterns of holiness so that we can walk in ways that please him. So when he saves us, he sanctifies, he purifies us, that process of making us more and more like him. He's doing that. He also has a glorification plan, and that is to take us, to bring us to our end where we will be glorified with him. See, people who don't believe in God, they come to a funeral, and they see a, a person who, who, who had a testimony of faith, and, and they look at it and they say, hey, dude died of cancer, so what happened? All that prayer that he prayed, what good did it do him? But those of us who know God say, Dude died of cancer. Let me tell you what happened. It's over. The struggle is over. God is now taking him to a glorification process where his pain, his suffering, his, 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 the, 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 the agony of living in this life is now ended for him because God's plan has progressed and he's moved on. So God is working his plan in our lives, and oftentimes it is happening unseen. In other words, we can't see God, and we can't see uh, uh, him doing the work, but we see the impact of that work. So God wants you to begin to look and open your eyes and see him working. So Esther is a book of exercise to do that. So you can see, even though God's name is not mentioned, see the process that he is using there should be a great benefit to you for that. God, we talk about the theme, God works unseen, behind the scene, through ordinary and extraordinary means. God will always, here's a part of the theme, God will always raise up a deliverer for his people. God will always raise up a deliverer 
for his people. In other words, second part of that is he has not abandoned his people. Think about the setting of Esther. <laughs> I, w- I will start the story like this. In a land far, far away. You see, Israel has been removed far from its own land, that land that God promised to give them, that he told Moses this is a promised land, that he took Joshua in to actually take the land, and they took it and they conquered that land. And he says, as long as you live in obedience to me, you will have this land. But when you begin to disobey me, I'm going to strip you from it. They did disobey God, and God has stripped them away from it. And now they are far, far away. And they must be wondering in their minds, what hope do we have, God? Where do we go from here? We are far away from the temple that you had us build, and and we have forsaken your ways, and it seems like you have forsaken us. What's going on, God? In a land far, far away. You see, they're living in in dark days. They wonder if God is still working for their good. Some may even wonder if God exists. We have people like that today, and we are like that. We are far removed from the biblical events that we read about in the Bible, the things, the miracles that Jesus did. We know that he did them, but we didn't actually see them with our eyes. We read about them in his word, and we wonder, is God still working like that today? Is he still working in in people's lives? I know here at Sweet Communion, that has been a thing that I've, I've struggled with, and I asked the Lord, Lord, what are you doing? Are you still building your people? Does your word, is it still effective? Is it still moving in the lives of people? Do you still want me to preach your word? Do you still want me to go out and and take your word out to people? Are you still changing lives and impacting lives? And God is saying, read Esther. (laughs) Look at it. Study it and see how I work. I have not abandoned my people. So God always raises up a deliverer for his people, and you can see that theme throughout the word. But you know what? Whether that deliverer was Moses way back in the history, whether that deliverer was Joshua or any one of the judges that God had or any one of the the, the prophets that God used, even some of the good kings that God used, whoever that deliverer was, guess what? He was a picture, and he was just a small shadow of the deliverer that we need. He's a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. God always raises a deliverer. This tells us something. First of all, there's an enemy, and we see this in Esther, there's an enemy who rules over God's people and seeks to destroy them. We're going to see that uniquely in Esther, and that's the person of Haman. King Ahasuerus is, is, is not that, that one to destroy, but Haman is, and he's kind of, he, he's kind of twist, he's kind of got influence over the king, and he's trying to bring destruction on God's people. Well, who is that a picture of? 
picture of Satan himself, isn't it? Satan always tries to, 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 to thwart God's plan. He's trying to destroy, trying to discourage God's people. You know, if he can't destroy you, he wants to discourage you. <laughs> you know, he can't stop you uh, 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 from succeeding. Well, he wants to slow you down, aggravate you, uh, make you discouraged so that you don't go along the way and encourage other people in the process. So there's an enemy that's against us, and God sends a deliverer. Deliverer does two things. He defeats and he destroys the enemy of God's people. That's a major theme throughout Scripture, don't you see it? Remember the great story of, of, of David and Goliath? <laughs> I saw a person had a sign uh, on, on their truck, and it says, um, you know, Goliath. You know, because, you know, he's thinking I'm a big, bad, bold truck, you know, get out of my way. And I started to put a sign on my car that says David. <laughs> I'm a little dude with five little stones, but <laughs> don't get in my way. <laughs> I'd rather be David than Goliath. <laughs> God sends these deliverers, and so he, he sent a deliverer like David. And we see these kinds of the themes going throughout Scripture. The deliverer defeats and destroys the enemies of God's people. The, the deliverer is honored by God and his people, and the deliverer rules over God's people graciously. We're going to see that theme, all that happening in the book of Esther, where the, the deliverer he defeats, he destroys, He's honored by God and his people, and he rules over God's people graciously. So we see two things happening. The enemy, he's defeated and he's judged. The deliverer is vindicated and rewarded. We're going to see that in Esther. And who's that a picture of? The enemy that's defeated. And judged is Satan himself and all his allies. The deliverer is vindicated and, and rewarded is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember how he was treated when he did his miracles and, and he presented himself to the people overwhelmingly? They rejected him. We would not have this man rule over us. And that's why they crucified him. That was God's plan. Later on, he was vindicated. What vindicates Jesus is, is when God raised him from the dead. He says, this is the one. Believe on him. Trust in him. God says there's no salvation in any other name other than the name of Jesus. It's interesting. We go out and talk to people in the neighborhood, and people don't mind talking about spiritual things and sometimes don't mind talking about religion, but they get into a problem when they, they yank Jesus out of that equation. In other words, I want to serve God, I want to worship God, but I don't believe in this Jesus that you present. And I'm quite frankly with them, frank with them, and just say, hey, without Jesus, you have no hope. You can't come to God apart from Jesus. God vindicated Jesus, and we see the celebration all throughout Revelation where Jesus is honored and rewarded. He's the deliverer that delivers God's people that God vindicated and now rewarded. Right now, he's sitting at the right hand of the throne of God. That's the highest vindication that you can get. No one else will hold that position. 
Let's talk about some practical applications in our study in Esther. One of the practical applications is we understand and appreciate God's sovereign providence in our lives. It's kind of like this. In Esther, we see things happen, and we go, how did that happen just like that? Is it a coincidence? We use the word coincidence. Somebody told me coincidence is not just something that happens by chance. It happens when two incidences coincide, when two happenings collide or happen at the same time. And God is bringing things to happen just in time, just in time. In fact, one of the funniest things in Esther is made so that we might laugh, that we might look at things and say, mm, 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 look at how God works. You know, your life is made like that too. One moment you're down and wondering how can God get you out, and you see that he has put you just in the right place or he's placed somebody else right in your life, that, that he has planned that. You go, you know, if, 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 if I wouldn't have been on time to work today, I would have missed that. Or if I didn't have a flat tire and have to run out of my way to do this, I would have missed that. And we go, wow, how lucky I am. Luck ain't got nothing to do with it. (laughs) God is orchestrating your life and he is sovereign in things that, that, that you don't even know he's working in. And that's what we see in, in, in the book of Esther. One example of that is Esther chapter 6. Haman, the enemy of God's people, has this scheme, and for some, it seems like an unknown reason, he just hates Mordecai. Just hates him. And so all night long, he's scheming up a way to kill Mordecai. And his family tells, this happens in chapter 5, his family comes up with a scheme how he can do it. And so he works out this scheme, and now he's excited. He's on his way to the king's palace. But just before that, the night before that, the king can't sleep at night. He can't sleep. So he decides, you know what we do when we can't sleep? We turn on the TV or whatever. He didn't have TV, so you know what he did? He read. <laughs> He's a king, so he didn't have to read. He had somebody come in and read to him. He said, read to me the history of what's been going on in the kingdom and the chronicles. And so they bring out the chronicles, and they find out that Mordecai has spoiled a plot against the king some time ago. And the king asked a simple question. Has he ever been rewarded for this? And he said, no, he hasn't. He says, hey, well, let's reward him. And he says, well... How are we going to reward him? He said, well, who's coming through, through, through my courthouse right now? And it's Haman. Haman is coming along the way. Hey, I got this. I got to talk to the king today. And I'm going to get the king to go along with my plan to hang Mordecai. I'm going to hang him. Finally. The king says he can't sleep that night. And he, he says, hey. Who's coming through my, 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 my yard just right now? And it happens to be Haman. And so he uses Haman to honor Mordecai. And it 
Haman just hates it. This is part of God's providence of how he's working and the timing, the fact that the king can't sleep, the fact that Haman is on his way to the king's court, and it just so happened at this same time that all these things coincide. You see, you got to honor God that he knows and he's orchestrating the details of your life in such a way that brings glory to him. So that's one of the things that we get at the practical application here, uh, God's sovereignty and his providence. But there's something else that goes with that we need to understand. Whenever we talk about sovereignty, we need to understand what I would call human responsibility. And we're going to see that in the book of Esther. We're going to see that, yes, God has a plan, but how he works it is through people like Mordecai and Esther. Mordecai is a faithful, obedient servant of God, and he does what God tells him to do. And you can see this practice in, in his life all life long. He is one who's raised his younger cousin himself, and he's raised her to be a person of character, a person of courage, a person of integrity, because that's how he is. And so God uses these people's courage, their integrity. Uh, uh, um, uh, he uses that to bring about his plan. So human responsibility says, no, you don't just say, well, God is sovereign. He'll make it happen. I ain't got to do nothing. No, God says you have a responsibility to do all that you can, all, do the, the things that God has given you responsibility over to the best of your ability and see how God uses that to accomplish his purpose. So we have that strong balance, not only of God's sovereignty, but of human responsibility in God accomplishing his plan. We'll see that all the way through Esther. There's a point in the book of Esther where Mordecai challenges Esther and says, you need to go and talk to the king about this scheme that Haman has. And she says, well, I can't come to the king because if I go in there without permission, I'll die. And Haman says, look, let me tell you something. God put you there for this very reason. She didn't just say, well, you know, I can't risk that because I might die. And so, so be it, so be it. Let God be sovereign and do it some other way. She didn't say that. What, what she heard was, we heard Mordecai saying, look, be a person of integrity and courage and do all that you have in your responsibility to do and trust God so that if your life is in, in harm's way, he will save you, he will deliver you. Don't just sit back and pray and then do nothing. Trust God and act. Act faithfully. And so we see that coming through as a practical application in the book of Esther. One other thing <clears throat> that we see is what I would call the ridiculousness of wickedness. <laughs> the ridiculousness of wickedness. That's, that's one of the practical applications that comes through in Esther. We will see how God thwarts the plans of the wicked. It kind of reminds me of Psalm 2. Remember Psalm 2? Why do the nations rage and the leaders imagine vain things? In other words, Psalms 2 is a view of 
heaven, looking down on earth of all these little ants running around doing their own thing and thinking they're ruling something, right? And God is saying, who do they think they are? Really? They think they're going to accomplish something? They think they're going to go against my plan? And God says, no, that's not going to happen. And so these great schemes of wickedness, and we see that with, with, with Haman predominantly, his great plan and his great schemes, and he tries to carry them out, and he falls flat on his face. God wants us to know that. Because what we see is we see, we see man's rule, and we see people in power, and we see our powerlessness, and we feel like Things can't get done and we're only victims and, and we have no control over this. God wants us to know that he's not going to make you president of the United States in answer to your prayer. But he wants you to be faithful where he puts you and trust that he'll move people and kingdoms even. He will move hearts. He will change. He wants you to be where you are and be faithful to him and see him do his work. And what you will see is that there is a ridiculousness of evil trying to prevail against God. It's like seeing that little two-year-old thinking he could rule a household. And God says, look, I'm going to sit you down in this chair, and you're going to whine and cry all you want. But I rule here. I rule here. It's good for us to know that God rules, and no matter how strong and how scheming and, and, and trick, uh, how much trickery and schemes wickedness uses, that God's plan will prevail. Now, let me get to the last thing I want to cover today, and that is this. We talked about some of the practical applications, so let's just review that. We looked at God's sovereign providence. We looked at human responsibility. We looked at the vanity or the ridiculousness of wickedness. And the, the last thing I want us to see is, is God's purpose and his plan and his promise, how it impacts us today. In other words, what God is doing behind the scenes in Esther and what he's doing behind the scenes in our lives has a purpose. And we need to see that purpose because some of us, we think, we think too much of God as just like a genie in a bottle. You know, Lord, I got, a, I got a sore ankle. Heal that ankle. Lord, I got a headache today. Um, clear my headache. Um, Lord, my, my car ain't running right. Uh, fix my car. Uh, Lord, my faucet at home is broke. Fix my faucet. And you say, well, God does some of those things, but, but the question is, for what purpose? God does answer our prayer. He wants us to bring even the little things to him. I'm not belittling us for doing that. He, he wants us to, to, to come to him with our needs. But what we need to see beyond that is his greater purpose, why he does what he does. And so well, it's kind of like this. What I want you to do as you look in Esther and as you learn to look in your life is what I call listen to the narrator. Okay? 
Esther is telling us a story, and we get to see some of the things behind the scene. And even though God is not mentioned, he's doing the work. What I want us to get to, to, to the, in the habit of doing is in our own lives, listen to the narrator. The narrator will say something like this. So as God's faithful people begin to be faithful and to come to Sunday school faithfully, he began to build sweet communion. That's what the narrator is saying. As a small group of faithful people were committed to evangelism on Saturday, they began to impact their community. See, that's what the narrator is saying. saying. As, 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 as truth seekers diligently worked with the children, that small group of 20 to 30 children, in that they built an army. See, that's what the narrator is saying. saying. But what we hear sometimes is, it's Wednesday, and I don't feel like going to prayer service tonight. And I'm tired, and all them kids going to be running and screaming, and I, I just ain't got time for it today. But what the narrator is saying, as the faithful team assembled and worked through their challenge and came to Wednesday anyway, God began to build. See, what I want us to do is begin to listen to the narrator as he begins to speak. And that's what Esther is going to help us to do. So Esther, the narrator, is saying something like this. In a land far, far away, the people of God seem to have no hope. Nobody in a political power were favorite to them or liked them or looked favoritly on them. But there was a man. His name was Mordecai. He had no great position, no great power, no great wealth. He had not even a daughter or a son. One cousin. A beautiful girl that he raised to be a woman of character and integrity, having no idea what would be in store for her for the future. That's how the introduction starts in Esther. I want you to begin to listen to the narrator in your life. One of the most practical applications of Esther for us is to develop faith and the hope that comes from that faith that God is working his plan in 2019 in Milwaukee in sweet communion. That's what I want you to develop. You may say, though I was looking for a job and had no idea where I would find it, the narrator is saying, as he continued in faithfulness serving the Lord, God began to open the door. Let the narrator <laughs> speak. One of the benefits is that we begin to trust in the God that we cannot see 
in his sure method and his plan. Now, I began saying this. I want to close off with this. To what purpose is God working this plan? Those little things that we pray for, what purpose is God fitting that in? Well, in the book of Esther, what we see is that there is a scheme to destroy all of God's people, to wipe them off the face of the earth. God is working his plan because if Satan was successful and could destroy and end all the Jews, what would that do? It would eliminate the deliverer that God had promised through the nation of Israel. That deliverer is Jesus. God says, no way I'm going to let that plan succeed. And though people in high power places want to see this done, I'm going to stand against it. And so the narrator begins to say, and God put his plan into action through Mordecai and through Esther. And God began to work his plan to deliver his people. Now, what's the purpose? So that he might bring his deliverer, the Savior, to all the world for redemption purposes, for sanctification purposes, for glorification purposes. God is working all those little details in the book of Esther so that we might have a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that we might become his people and be delivered by him. God is working those details. That's his plan behind the scenes and all that he's doing. May God open your eyes to what he's doing and give you a bold trust and confidence in him. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your plan. We thank you how you open up our eyes to this plan. Now we pray that as we get into the details of this book and in all of your word, that we begin to see how it fits together. And that might give us hope. This hope comes in knowing that you send a deliverer to deliver your people. And you work out the details so that we, so that our salvation is secure. Thank you for your word. Allow us, Lord, to trust and believe and to live faithfully, to hear the narrator in our own lives and to find hope in your word, in your process, in your plan, in your purpose, in your provision for your people. Lord, if there's someone here today that sees this hope but doesn't know how, they can become a part of it. Help them to understand that they have to do but all they have to do is trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and they'll be saved. I pray, Lord, that you will begin that process, urging and drawing them to you to trust in Christ, his death on the cross, for their eternal salvation. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen.